right, and we're back once again, another 2BD episode, and we're still here with Tennyson Danye for, um, you know, a nice, a nice little, we'll call this a little um, wrap up um, to an interesting Black History Month uh, 2022. Um, so I kind of wanted to ask you about your recent piece that you had in WHYY um, talking about New Jersey's um, potential legislation conversation about, you know, reparations and the legacy of slavery in, in New Jersey. It's a it's a great recent piece um, for anyone who hasn't checked it out. Um, and it's it's some great reporting that you did um, just kind of rounding up and simplifying um, this long ongoing struggle um, that we see locally in the state. Um, so I guess one of the first things I would ask you is, um, you know, what made you want to tackle reparations, um, such a hot button issue? Um, and when it comes to, you know, a state like New Jersey, um, a very divisive issue um, when you look at the history. What made you want to tackle all of that? Because I'm a black man living in New Jersey <laughs> who was descended of slave, enslaved people. I mean, you know, I would be crazy to do to, to do the opposite, in my opinion. Um, you know, it, it this it goes back to what I said on the previous episode about you know, we all have our circumstances and, and our bias. And sometimes your your bias is survival, you know. And so just to see, well, for this story specifically, this was actually about a year in the making. I started working on this before. And it came together organically, naturally. Um, you know, when I started getting interested in this issue, I wasn't even a state house reporter yet. And, um, you know, just the way life works out sometimes, you know, you want to do something right away in that moment. And, and the universe takes you to a whole different place where you're now in a position to go ahead and tackle this directly. And so, you know, it was hard because there's not a lot of it's hard to find the evidence and the, the, the information, the history, the true history of what happens, not what we were taught, which is is you know, the lie of omission, essentially. It, 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 it's like we were taught about things, but we were also not taught about certain things, and that was deliberate. And when you start to understand that, um, you start to realize that in a lot of ways, it, it's, it's, this has been happening for a long time, and it's been to keep us in our place, period. And the facts show that. And that's what I wanted to unearth is, you know, we weren't just quote unquote freed, you know, and freedom, freedom isn't enough, you know? And so a lot of the arguments that you heard around the reconstruction era, civil war era, pre-civil war era, when abolition really was starting to gain a foothold the you had a lot of white folks who thought slavery was immoral but thought that black people 
wouldn't know how to take care of themselves. They're unintelligent. Um, they were going to be a burden on society if we give them if we give them what they need to to survive. You know, and at the same time, you know, white settlers settlers were given land in this country. To you know, the the country wanted people to come here and start up, you know, enterprise and and help build the country and. In a lot of ways, you got more land if you owned more people. So once we, you know, it's it's a money-making scheme. It was never, and, and even our freedom, it was always, you know, it came down to, do you believe in this constitution and the values that, that it says that we should be living by? Or, you know, that if you believe in that, you know, then, then, there's a component in here that talks about justice and, and compensation for and And we live in a world now where we know that time is, is more valuable than money in a lot of ways. Um, it's priceless. And you got to get paid to do for the time that you, the work that you're doing. We, we live by that. That is what capitalism, um, you know, that's what they tell us in capitalism. You work, and the harder you work, the more you make. That's what they tell us. Right. And so why why can you believe that for yourself in this moment and not understand, you know, you don't think that, that they didn't have that same value back in the 1850s, 1840s. You don't think people were thinking like this, you know, but they didn't see our humanity. Mm-hmm. They thought we were inferior. Even if they did see our humanity, they thought we were inferior humans. And that has pervaded. I mean, I have I I have I have been in rooms where I've heard how people really feel about us. Cause they might have forgotten I was in the room. It's like, how did I get so comfortable? Mm-hmm. And so what a lot of this is about is is making sure that people are informed about the truth. And and you can't say, I didn't tell you. I know that I can't make you change. I know that you got to get up and do it yourself. But, you know, I had a very, I had a very transformative experience when I started doing my genealogy, my ancestry. And, you know, I think it's cute and cool to, to find out like the regions that you're from in Africa and other parts of the world. But for me, the part that made all of this real was learning the names of my ancestors. Like beyond, you know, the, the couple generations that, that I can go back and have known to an extent, but never really fully knew who their brother, you know, who, who was my grandfather or great grandfather or great grandmother's brothers and sisters and, 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 you know, cousin who, you know, and you go back far enough. At least I went back far enough. And I realized that, you know, we had, I had, I was here. My family was here and they survived this. They fought so that I could be here. I think about what they, one thing that I try to do, which is just, I can only really imagine it, but through context and through history, um, I 
will try to think about what they might have been thinking when they were my age and understanding we were probably similar in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it wasn't just struggle. You know, that wasn't just our identity, but the struggle was a huge, it was a, it was a huge fight to freedom. And, and for me to be able to go back 200 years and see names and, and find out, you know, find census data and find out what people did for a living and find newspaper clippings. You know, I realized one day, like, damn, somebody may be looking back 200 years from, especially with the way that we're able to preserve records digitally. Someone may be looking back and they're going to see more than just the name. They're going to see more than just what comes up in the census. They're going to see a lot of what I wrote, a lot of the media that's out there. And so at this point, it's almost like taking back, taking back my work, taking back my purpose, taking back my drive and exposing the people to truth, you know, and, and I'm, 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 I'm almost at a state of peace in the sense that, you know, I don't need any credit or recognition while I'm alive on a, on a large global scale or, or a period, you know, but knowing that somebody may be looking back 200, even if it's one person being inspired because they may very well still be going through the same things. But that's why that's why I wanted to document it, because a lot of the arguments is people are saying we just didn't know. We just didn't know. We didn't know. We didn't know. Ignorance. I, I, I said that on the last episode. You can't really comprehend what you can't comprehend. You can't know what you can't know sometimes. But I, I'm at least with this reparation story, the deep dive. I wanted to give it as much historical context as possible so that it's accounted for on, on not just in an abolitionist paper or a black paper um but in these mainstream outlets with something that's um amongst communities black communities white communities can be so divisive and we'll get into we'll get into the negatives of it later on um what has the reception been that you've gotten we'll say positive wise from um, talking about this issue, talking about this New Jersey issue um, thus far. Um, this story specifically? Yes. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've been doing this for a while, and I'm really at a point in my career where, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't really check for for the positive affirmations as, as much as I used to. Um but the people that I have heard from um, are were were just happy to see that someone is doing this story and and not just doing it. They're you're doing it at a at a at one of the top five media outlets I think in Philadelphia in terms of viewership or, or and um, you know listeners and viewers. But also, I think for me the most of the feedback that I've gotten that that is satisfying is from the folks internally that I work with who are also passionate about these same issues and other issues um, that are just as important. Um, and, and just knowing that people who are, are doing similar work and you see their passion and you look up to them in some ways, 
um, they they in turn respect your work and and appreciate your work. That to me lets me know I'm in a good place right now. Um, and I say good place just just generically. Like I'm in a good place mentally, um, a good space, a good headspace. And then on the flip side of things, you know, with this being an issue that for people in my generation, um, generally we haven't, you know, had the conversation of reparations and talked about reparations through school and learned about those things coming up. So it feels fresh. It feels fresher to us. But um, reparations is not a new conversation. And we've seen through the reporting that you mentioned, um, time and years past, this is an issue that's been brought up and brought up. Um, on the negative aspect of it, how do you, you know, pull from this, from the reporting that you're doing and, you know, not feel like, hey, this is, this is something that's been done. They've talked about this. They continue to have these conversations or set aside bills and time and space to have a conversation about this thing. Is this something that we will even ever see actualized or put forth more than just, you know, talking about it? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the hope is to start a larger conversation. I think that is um, the goal is just to get people talking about it. And that's what this bill is, is it's to get people talking about it. Um, and so it's not even saying yes or no to reparations as much as it's saying, can we talk about it? <laughs> like, can we just talk? It's like the Khalid song. Hmm. Um. You know, I, I've I've gotten to a place where, you know, I'm just trying to do my part because we all have to do, you know, other. I there were definitely times where. I've thought I had to be Superman, you know, put the weight of the world on my shoulder, because when you're doing stories like this, and then you're also doing stories about, for example, school desegregation and police brutality and police accountability and uh, just microaggressions, everything, all the, all the things is easy to see. The pattern is all connected and you want to be able to tackle all of these issues sometimes in one story or one time in one place in one setting. And I think with this reparation story, it was a way for me to, to get, get to the root cause like, I think at the end of the day, the root cause is, is slavery and, and the dehumanization of an entire race of people. And, and only a race of people because y'all called it a race of people and, and distinguished yourselves from said race of people. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. and, and that's the whole conversation over critical race theory, which I haven't really done a lot of reporting on. I've done a, a couple stories, uh, you know. There have been actually um, a few uh, legislators who have brought forth legislation to ban um, critical race theory. And it's like, do we even like are we even teaching? Do you know what it is? Number one, are we teaching it? But um, those those are those have come up and people may not realize that because it. I mean, they haven't moved. Um, but there are folks in New Jersey who want to do that i believe it was um senator mike testa who uh 
who introduced that and then uh, someone else last last um, session. I haven't checked to see if it's back this session, which just started last month, but it's here. And, and sometimes you'll have people say, well, you know, you shouldn't want to give credence or, or even report on these things. And it's like, but it's happening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like you don't want to give a platform. And it's like, but it's happening. And so that's that's where I, I am still learning to, to walk that rope of, OK, yes, I understand what you're saying. You don't want to give bigotry a platform, but it's happening. And whether you want to watch it or see it or not, it's happening. And sometimes you see it happening. And what do you do? Most definitely. Um, through your reporting on this, um, you you also talked to some legislators and, you know, just generally other people invested in the fight to make reparations a reality. Um, when you speak to legislators um, and it's because it's something that's so important to our community um, and you get these responses or you don't get any responses or it doesn't feel like it's an issue that they um, detail as important or pressing, um, what is it, what is it like, um, as a reporter in that aspect? Can you repeat the question? Um, what is it like getting those responses where, or not getting responses at all, where it's like, you know, and understand the importance of this issue, um, and what it would mean? Um, and feeling as though it's brushed off by the people who have the powers to make it happen. So basically asking a, a, a state lawmaker or someone or, or the governor about reparations and then like not getting a response. Essentially. Essentially, yeah. Um, I mean, that did happen uh, for this story. Um, and that that can be tough because I never want it to seem like I'm attacking people. Um, I never want them to seem like I'm attacking people, but I also want people to know the truth, especially when it's about, you know, there's ag agendas in, in, in all of our systems, but especially in politics. And, you know, people in their mind are doing what they think is in the best interest of themselves first. I think first and foremost, <laughs> survival. And then two, um, you know, their people, whoever that is, whether, you know, you are the same race or not, just people that you align with. Uh, that's just my observation from, from reporting and life, my experience. Um, so, you know, I never want to feel like I'm attacking people, but it, it can be, it can seem like, wow, you know, like, you don't want to comment on on this, but you know uh, there are other things that I've reported on, and, and you're fine with talking about it. Maybe people just aren't in the place where they've thought about it. I don't know. I can't I can't speak for them, but it, it it's tough because you kind of go in knowing sometimes. Like I I I, I went into this story knowing who was gonna try and either brush me off or. Um, 
you know, who, even if they answered, were going to give you a political answer. But my point was, I just wanted to ask them, <laughs> you know, because that's the thing. I could have just said, you know, I could have just done the story without their voice. And then they would have been mad about that. Maybe. Um, so, so I'm not really worried about, um, I'm not too worried about them not responding as much as it's just, you know, I'm trying to get to the root of what's going on. And if you are the power player in this branch of government, um, who, who calls the meetings, who, um, you know, who decides what gets voted on, you, you know, that I think it's fair to at least put the question out there. And, and, and I will say this about the world of politics. Um, and, and I was having this conversation with another state house reporter, um, being a, a reporter, a political reporter, the political world is a world of crafted statements and press releases. So the hard thing is knowing that, you know, on the last episode, I talked about the fact that, um, you know, being your true self is, is getting rid of the facade, that the mask that you wear. But in a lot of ways, what you're dealing with in, in politics is a mask. Everyone's wearing this mask because there is agenda and you don't know who to trust. Um, and you don't know who's telling you the truth and who's just telling you what you want to hear. And you get a lot of that. You get a lot of and, and And when you give the questions ahead of time, sometimes or sometimes even when you tell them what you want to talk about ahead of time, they may may or may not respond. And they and if they do respond, you know, people have press teams, communications teams. Um, people are, you know, because your representative or, or elected official is, is super busy showing up to things, um, they have a team to help craft these things. And, you know, it's good. It's good to have a team around you to bounce around opinions and, and things like that. But sometimes I want the, the truth. You know, I want what you think. And, 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 you know, how do we create a space where we can allow people to be honest and, and not always judged in, in a, in a harsh, like condemned, I won't say judged, um, condemned, um, completely, you know, we live in a society and I think the news can, and myself, um, can be and have perpetuated to this idea that people can be forgiven. And so, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, I want to wear my Gandhi hat, but my Malcolm X hat at the same mm. time, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's the tough part about being a political reporter is knowing when you're just being bullshitted. Someone crafted a statement because the politics of the time you know, now you can't say this about black people. You have to say it this way. I would rather you be racist and, and say racist things to me at this point because I'm not going to let it affect me. But also, I know the truth. And we don't got to pretend. I know where you stand. Exactly. And we, and we can we can deal with it how we're going to deal with it. But we, we both got that understanding. Especially, so, especially oh, now because we've gotten to the point where nobody likes in in contact nobody likes being called a racist 
but that doesn't mean there's no racism. I don't like being called sexist. That doesn't mean there's no sexism. Exactly. I don't like being called ableist. You know what I'm saying? But that's the thing. You, We got to get to a point where we can apply the heat, but not completely incinerate people. And so how do we do that in a world where everybody is pissed off and rightfully so because we've been lied to? And when I say that, I just mean going back to the, the, the show, the spectacle. The image being more important than the reality. So you're getting crafted statements and you're not always getting at the truth. Um, and, you know, I had to get to a point where you got to show up. And that's why I make the point. You can show anybody can show up to a voting session, to a committee hearing and ask any legislator any question they want. Anybody can do that. And you got to get to a point where, you know, it's it's. You understand that you're just trying to you got to you're, you're getting a facade and life in general, but especially in this world. And you can't just, you know, you can't just call up somebody and wait for them to call you back or you can't just um, send an email and hope for them to get it, get you back, you know, send two emails. Sometimes you got to show up. In the places that in the places that it's called for, and the state house is a public facility, and, and New Jersey is pretty, pretty, um, you know, you can get in, you know, um, and you can record. Um, you know, I, I worked in Pennsylvania, and you couldn't even shoot video in in certain places like courthouses and and stuff like that. You had to get permission. Mm-hmm. New Jersey, we got the tools, we got the access. Um, you know, it's just a matter of, can people, can people take time out of their busy lives to deal with all of this stuff to get here and and, and to show, but you can also now at this point, you can watch online. So at least you can, you can be caught up to speed on what they're talking about and you can decide for yourself then what are the issues that I'm passionate about? And how do I go about affecting change in my way? For sure. Um, we're going to take a little break on the podcast, but we'll be right back at it. Now, through this piece, um, I actually, it taught me something in the sense that, you know, seeing reparations, I always saw reparations as something for it to have the true impact that we wanted to something across the um, federal level in the United States. And, um, you know, through reading this, um, as well as combining it with my own experiences growing up in the state and kind of seeing how what I'm learning um, correlates to that and how I realized I was affected by that, um, you, you start to have like a different perspective and so because we're now 50 states at the time we weren't 50 united states um are we united (laughs) well there's there's that as well but um you see that we have all these different understandings and all these different histories with the legacy of slavery in this country And so when you come to New Jersey and, you know, 
New Jersey, you could call it the South of the North. Um, New Jersey has a very specific history in the way that even though it was part of the Union, it was more aligned with the ideology of the South. And it was actually the last state to even ratify the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, with which outlaws slavery, um, yep. at least last without... At Absolutely. least without um, punishment for a crime, because there is right. that byline in there. But um, it's it's brought me to the understanding of you know reparations is something that should be examined not only federally but also within the confines of your state, county, whatever it may be, because there are so many. Because we have this divided federal and state system, there's so many nuances within borders of different places that. You know, slavery was outlawed with this or the Emancipation Proclamation freed the slaves in the South. But there were still policies in place in all of these northern states that they could do whatever they wanted. And so this piece examining those nuances um, kind of brings that to the forefront for me. Yeah. And did the Emancipation Proclamation even free anybody? Well, there you go. You know, Lincoln said that if he could save the union without without ending slavery he would have at one point you know so um you know history kind of whitewashes and makes it seem like all of these leaders were b- benevolent you know in, the, in in their approach to us and we you know it, you know public servants are just that i i consider what i do um public service and and you know, sometimes I'll see people thanking, thanking, you know, people for, for quote unquote, giving them freedom that the constitution that they say they believe in says you were born with that. And, and that no one really can take it away, um, without outside of force, like they did with us, um, and fear and, and knowing that we had to deal with the implicit slavery um, afterwards and, and really working people in general, uh, but especially people of color, black folks, um, you know, being, being, being demonized at any, any opportunity, being, being called wild and savage monkeys, prisoners, you know, um, We've we've dealt with a lot of a lot of hatred, period, and and even in the form of implicit or or um, yeah implicit hatred, microaggressions. You know, I've had people tell me who I've considered close friends at one point. You know, not understanding why I have my hair blown out the night before I needed to get my, like I'm getting my 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 dreads twisted or my you know my braids twisted when I had braids. You know, I liked it when your hair was short. I liked it when this, I liked it when you, when you, when you did this and looked like this, like I've had white people tell me these things as, as friends, you know, so I can understand to an extent what people went through just trying to get their freedom and the respectability politics of those times. When you know that people were saying again, um, that if we were freed outright, you know, one of the New Jersey had an anti-slavery 
an anti-slavery um, ideology that was more conservative, according to historians. So um, what that means is people decided, you know, we, we think slavery should be abolished, but not outright. And, and it was based on those slavery ideology that was conservative. I, I just got to pause on that because it's like you got to really dissect how that's even put put and what that even means. So it's like we don't know what's going to happen next. So we got to be slow about it. That's that's how they would probably, um, you know, rationalize it. I, it's it's like when I lived in Maine. And Maine was legalized um, cannabis around the time that I was there. And so I was there reporting on the process of regulations being um, enacted after the referendum. And Maine had what I would consider and what most people would consider who lived through it a more conservative legalization. So um, basically, it was about a 49, 51% vote for it and against it. And so they were afraid of offend, you know, we don't want to some, a lot of people want it, but a lot of people don't. And so how can we do it to appease the people who don't, but also the people who do. And that's kind of what it sounds like with, with the slavery, especially in the North and New Jersey um, was, well, we think it's wrong. Um, the laws, the laws have changed or the laws that are changing around this. But a lot of people are upset about this. And we got to think about the fact that people are going to lose money and this and that. I'm not justifying any of this, by the way. I'm just telling you straight, like, what those conversations were like. Being more concerned with unity rather than justice. Their idea of unity. Right. Sounds almost presidential if you think about how things are I mean, now. But <laughs> nothing new under the sun. Right. I believe that firmly. And that's why, you know, I was saying someone 200 years from now might be looking back at us having this conversation, being inspired to act in whatever way they see fit for the times. And that, you know, our place is finite in the sense that we only get one life that we know of in this moment. And so, you know, making the most of it, but knowing that, you know, you'll probably die not knowing some things. And that's okay. Um, Because hopefully that means things got better. We evolved. Mm. Now, you come to the end of the piece and sort of paint a picture of um, what we may see as reparations or what they could look like in terms of today, 2022, and going forward. And you talk about you know some of the um, philanthropic ways in which different cities have put forth programs. But um, what, what is your perspective your personal perspective um how do you see reparations and how do you see their impact or whether you think they would have the desired impact going forward in modern times because it's like and even you know you joke about it it's it's black history month and we see 
we've seen all these issues in New Jersey just this month where it's like you saw the black teenager who got into the fight with the white teenager and who was pinned down while they let the white kid just sit there and watch. Or you see um, in Montvale where there was a reading of a book from one of, I believe it's a Netflix filmmaker, um, Timothy Ware Hill, who was banned from reading this book to children because of the politics of um, one of the films that he made. And it's like, we can't even, when it looks bleak like this, just from these base incidents, what do you, what do you see as um, the positives or whether something like this can get pushed to the forefront and be um, valuable and impactful in the ways that we want it to be? Um, well, well, I think first and foremost, um, repar- uh, reparations, um, if that were to happen, uh, mental health is, is key. I think black people, people in general, but black folks have, um, especially if you're descended from enslaved people, have a lot of generational trauma associated with that that has been passed down that you don't even recognize because you didn't live that experience, but you kind of, you lived with the vestiges of it. You lived with the folks who, and you are descended from the folks who, um, and are taught, taught and learned from, whether it's taught how to, to read and write or taught how to love, how to persevere, you know, but you're learning from folks who, have learned from folks who have been oppressed. And so, you know, did, did we ever get any mental health evaluations or, or, or I won't even say evaluations. Did we get proper care, you know, wellness after we left, after we were, after our people were freed, quote unquote freed. Um, you know, that is, I think that's, that's something that, uh, I think is important. We got to talk about mental health seriously as a, as a world, as a globe, as a, as a people. Um, but then we, we definitely need to understand that black people have, have very specific, um, unique mental health needs due to oppression. Um, so that's that. Uh, I think what, we need to be enabled to do no matter what, whether this passes or not, um, is learn to build our build for ourselves and and you know not be so reliant on on someone else's American dream because then we can hold the spaces to diagnose our own issues and, and, and cure our own issues. And, and in this world, you need money to be able to do that. And you not just that, you got to learn how to use money. You got to have money to learn how to, to and lose money to, 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 you see what I'm saying? You got, mm-hmm. how can you, how can you lose something you've never had? It's something I, it's something I think about. Um, often the more we see um, 
the legacy of slavery and the issues that it had on our communities um, over time. I, I think about how things were previous generations and in ways that, you know, prior to integration and during segregation in ways in which we had to do things all for ourselves because there was there was that separation and there wasn't any aspect of that and so in the ways in which now it's like they accepted us into their society and utilized that as a way to strip us of the things that we need Sure. Yeah, it, it's it's a fight. And uh, to suggest that you're not in it is is you know, who's to say that, but it's a fight for sure. And, and you know, I think you know, I'm at a place where I'm recognizing how important this is. But I also don't want to be consumed, like I said, uh, by the weight of the world and trying to be the agent of change for everybody else when, you know, you can lead people to the well, but what they do with that is up to them. You know, I've been in situations where people have tried to guide me and and sometimes you refuse the help or you don't even recognize it and so you know that's 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 something i have to think about from time to time is that i may not see everything that i wish for or hope for um in this lifetime but um you know we can all do our part and i, I think my part is just exposing you know asking the questions um and highlighting what's going on preserving preserving it i i, I want to talk about camden new jersey because i would be remiss if i if i don't if that's okay okay uh and i'm, I'm saying it because talking about preservation i've met so many people in camden just in my own time just showing up to events um, in my process of finding myself and, uh, you know, I see people who have been in this fight for a long time, a lot of them, their entire lives. And they say to me, you know, we need, we're glad you're here. We need somebody finally from our community documenting what's going on. We need the preservation. We need the, pre we don't have that, you know? So I feel like, um, that's what I'm trying to do really with this, with the reparation story. It wasn't, you know, necessarily, here's my agenda, and you need to you need to make these things happen. Uh, this is what needs to happen. It's more so. We need to preserve um, what we have um, in, in ways that are um, sustainable and continue. That are that because throughout history, you see the banning of books, the burning of books. <laughs> you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, Who's to say we don't ever go through that again? Because we're going through it right now, at least with, with the books being banned. I mean, they're banning Toni Morrison. They take the I same... can't believe that, you know, but I can at the same time. 
Uh, but Camden, New Jersey really is, you know, a lot, a lot of places in New Jersey, Newark, Patterson, really, I found people who are already doing these things on the ground, preserve, trying to preserve the history. So, you know, Camden specifically, there's some folks out there, um, Batu Moja, which is um, a nonprofit really about empowering us um, and empowering us to be ourselves and to come together as one, all people, but especially through our lens and our voice. Um, you know, they've been doing a lot of cool stuff. They've been doing, I, I mentioned the Newark, Newark Story Collaborative and the storytelling um, trainings and workshops that they do out there for journalists. But in Camden, you have a lot of artists who are, are changing the world through art and having conversations through art. Um, so part of what I want to do with Black in Jersey is to be able to have these conversations like reparations in a way that is is artistic and in a, in a way that might be able to draw people in in ways that the boring politics may not um and because politics is boring sometimes like it can be if you're not into it mm -hmm. um you know because a lot of people don't even trust the system i know what that feels like you know and sometimes i think there's this general sense of if you're in a position of profile or authority you know, it's like, why don't you respect authority? It's like, well, maybe it's because they hear what you're saying, but they also see what you do. Um, so sometimes you can't, you can't tell these stories and connect with people the way you could through art. And so, you know, at some, I, I see myself as transcending journalism at this point. Um, I don't know how much longer I would fully call myself a like a, a what what the industry and the legacy uh, industry um, considers a journalist in the sense of you're a journalist and that's it and you follow these rules and that's it and you're you can't be anything else because it would show you know you gotta hide you gotta hide your light you know. You can't express what you think outside of work. I'm not even talking about at work. I mean, outside of work, you know, it's like you're a slave in that sense. Mm, so in a lot of ways, um, you know, I'm escaping that life. And so when I say I'm trying to transcend journalism, that's what I mean. I'm, I'm trying to be who I feel I was called to be. And, and I know how to write and I know how to tell stories. And, and that's always going to be a part of me. But now I want to be part of a community and um, be part of a community story. Um, and, and Camden, for example, is a place where I see so much potential. What, what people might see as a wasteland, I see as, as you know, a, a kingdom that could be built. And Rome wasn't built in a day. Uh, you know, and, and it's not something where I want to come in and extract and then leave and take what I had. Like, no, I want to be, I want it. There comes a point, I think, and a lot of uh, journalists, veteran journalists that I've talked to have said, you know, some people don't make it to New York City or to L.A. or to the big, you know, Paris or London or, or you know, what's considered the apex, you know, the big companies, uh, you know, CNN and stuff like that. Some people realize they're in this small town sometimes you know 
or in, a, in one state, they're doing local news and they just want to be part of, they want to see the work that they're doing. You want to see it through. And that's the point I'm at with New Jersey and black in New Jersey is I want to be somewhere, set some roots. Um, and I'm not saying life can never take me anywhere else, but you know, I've bounced around, I've bounced around and, and I've gained a lot of perspective from it. And, and, and one of the things I, I know is that there is beauty in, in believing in things that most people may not believe in and seeing, seeing the turnaround, see, seeing see, exactly. Um, is there, is there anything else you wanted to, um, to add on, on the piece that you wrote on reparations, anything you want to kind of have everyone who reads it tap into? Yeah. Let me think about that. I guess just, you know, I, I just, I, I don't want to tell people how to, how to read it. You know, I want, I just want it to be there and I want, I want people to read it. But I, I don't want to tell people how they should view it, I guess. Uh, that's up to them at the end of the day. But like I said, it's out there. I did my part as far as I'm concerned. Well, I want to thank you again for being a part of the show, Tennyson. Um, for all those interested, you can check out on WHYY. New Jersey has struggled for centuries to talk about reparations. Can that change in 2022? Yeah, thank you. Go check that out. And, and congrats on your show. Um, I've been listening. And, and you, I, I think you you got something something good here so keep it up we need we need people like you in the trenches for sure i appreciate that and as always for those of you listening you've been listening to the to be determined podcast and what comes next is to be determined peace all right take care see you guys